Welcome to another Sunday morning sermon from Marysville Christian Church. We're glad you're here joining us on this journey to learn more, love more, and look more like Jesus. We invite you to grab a cup of coffee and a Bible as we dive into God's Word. When Lori started her comments about our identity and how our identity gets shaped, I looked at Claudia. I pulled out my notes for the sermon and showed it to her, and the very first line in my notes says this, traditions shape our identity. She shook her head, happens all the time. Culturally, our traditions can kind of shape our identity and who we are and what we do, what we expect. For example, come Valentine's Day in February, the tradition, of course, involves chocolate and, you know, well, chocolate, right? And uh, with a little chocolate thrown on the side, you know, if there's birthdays, the anticipated uh, tradition is cake. Even if it involves being in a restaurant, you know, you stop and pick up a cake someplace or you have them come out, bring the little individual thing, candle burning, things like that. Memorial Day, the tradition says parades and cemetery visits and flowers around tombstones to remember those that were significant in your life. Thanksgiving traditions always involve a feast. The 4th of July traditions usually involve tradi uh, things like fireworks and picnics. Who can miss out on the, on the tradition of the 16th birthday, right? Sign it up as soon as possible to get that driver's license. Weddings, the tradition always involves a, a ring on a left hand and a bouquet toss. There are religious traditions too, though. One thing I've... When you visit around, you've been in church as long as I have now, it almost really doesn't matter what church you go into, what state you go into, you can pretty much always figure out where the bathrooms are, where the main room is, and where the classrooms are. And inevitably, we end up frequently being some of the last ones out. We even know where to look for the light switches. It's just the traditional architecture. Now, sometimes architecture of churches makes it look like a birdhouse or an outhouse. <clears throat> look around town. Sometimes it looks like crosses and steeples. Sometimes you battle the tradition of whether there should be a basketball hoop or not. Christmas Eve always involves candles and carols. Easter time always involves giving, you know, what are you going to give up for Lent? Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, eggs on Saturday. And yet, a lot of those traditions kind of shape who we are. The unfortunate part of that is that sometimes those religious traditions can get in the way of real faith. There's a passage in Mark chapter 7. We're going to spend a lot of time there this morning. If you've got your Bibles with you or you know, a, a device that has a Bible app on it, you know, go ahead and open it up there. You, you won't be flipping around a lot. I'll have some of the verses here on the screen behind me, but most of them are going to come from Mark chapter 7. Because it's there that Jesus addresses people who were so caught up in what their religious tradition dictated and mandated that that became what they put more hope and confidence and faith in than anything else. For example, some of the most religious people of the day were referred to as Pharisees. And those Pharisees and some teachers of the law came from Jerusalem and they gathered around Jesus 
And they saw that some of Jesus' followers ate food with hands that weren't clean. And I know, I'm reading this passage and I'm thinking, this is too good. You know, we've got to do this today, of all days. The Pharisees and all of the Jews never ate before washing their hands in a way that was required by their unwritten laws. And when they buy something in the market, they never eat it unless they've washed themselves in a certain special way. And they also follow a lot of other unwritten laws, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and pots. Now that's what you'll find in Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. The only thing is, it really creates a problem because it can overemphasize things like the washing of pots and hands that really aren't that important. So religious traditions, as good as they are, as meaningful as they are, and as much as they may reflect our identity, can sometimes get in the way of real faith when they overemphasize unimportant things. For example, in Matthew 23, I know I said we'd spend most of our time in Mark 7. I promise we will. But here's this one in Matthew 23. Jesus says, you hypocrites. For you're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb garden. But you ignore the more important parts of the law like justice and mercy and faith. So they'd get all obsessed about counting out seeds so they would give one-tenth of each kind of seed and, and claim that that made them right with God, okay? He says, yes, you should tithe, but don't neglect the more important things. And that's the important phrase in that. Don't let your tradition, don't let your ritual, don't let the things that are normal and customary get in the way of more important things. He says, if you do, people are watching you. You're guiding them, but you're just like blind guides because when you do that, you strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but in the meantime, you swallow a camel instead. He would reemphasize that, or Paul would reemphasize that later on in Romans 14 when he would say again about religious traditions getting in the way of real faith when they overemphasize things that maybe are less important than others. He says, in the kingdom of God, eating and drinking are not important. The important things are living right with God. Peace and joy that comes from the presence of His Holy Spirit in your life. You see, they got so focused on their traditions and their unwritten rules and giving each other the evil eye if they didn't abide by those rules that they forgot what was really important behind it. They can also get in the way of real faith when they justify that kind of condescending judgment of others. And that's where the real problem came in. When, like I said, they give each other the evil eye. Well, what, hey, did you wash your hands? What, what? You know what's really ironic in all this? They're so focused on coming to Jesus, complaining about his followers, and why they didn't wash their hands like the unwritten rules said they should. You know what happened right before this in Mark chapter 6? You may have heard it. It was kind of an kind of a big deal in the life of Jesus. It was the feeding of 5,000. 
He gathers five loaves, two fish. He breaks the bread, asks God to bless it. And there was, there was a crowd there of at least 5,000 men, not counting women and children. And he gives it pieces to the disciples, tell them to disperse it between all of them. Imagine how long that distribution process took. And then they gathered up the leftovers. And the only thing that these guys could focus on was not that 5,000 plus people had just been fed miraculously by five loaves and two fish. They missed the miracle because they were afraid of the mess on their hands. And so they come to Jesus condemning the disciples and what they'd done. The Pharisees, teachers of the law, said to Jesus, Why don't your followers obey those unwritten laws which have been handed down to us? So they admit that their traditions that have been handed down from one generation to the next to the next. Why do your followers eat their food with hands that are not clean? Well, here's a thought. They just ate food that was miraculously provided to them. But they lost focus of that. All they could think of was, you didn't do it right. Hmm. No wonder Paul would point out to the Colossians in chapter 2 this observation. You've died with Christ. And he set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Again, talking about those unwritten rules that were handed down from one generation to the next to the next that became part of their identity so much so that they couldn't imagine eating without unwashed hands any more than we could imagine a bride without a wedding ring or a bouquet. They couldn't imagine going through the sanitation process of washing their pots and pans any more than we could imagine Christmas Eve without carols and candles. And when they didn't get it, they were upset about it. He says such rules, though, are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise. I love Christmas Eve service. I love Easter sunrise. I love the breakfast at Easter. Oh, it means so much when I give up something for Lent. It sounds like it's spiritually and, and wise and, and helps us mature. Well, it seems that way because it does require some devotion and some self-denial and some you know, personal discipline. But he says, all those things that you do, they provide absolutely no help in conquering what's going on inside of you. Hmm. Religious traditions get in the way of real faith when they worship their rules instead of God. Now we're back in Mark 7. I told you we'd spend most of our time here. But as you go on through verses 8 through 11, he says, you're pretty good at rejecting God's commands so that you can follow your own teachings. Go to the next one, Scott. Didn't Moses command you to respect your father and mother? And here's where he points out their hypocrisy in this. You're all focused on this rule, but what about this command from God? Honor your father and mother. Take care of them. But he says, you let people get by without helping their parents when they should 
by letting them say that what they own has been offered to God. You know, I'd love to help you out, Dad, but I can't because, well, I made that pledge to the church. And, I, you know, you wouldn't want me to mess up in my pledge to God. He says, you ignore God's commands so that you can follow your own teaching. Boy, I'm glad we don't ever do that. You know? Glad we're fully in compliance with God's teaching. Well, our traditions can get in the way sometimes, too, when, we be, when we're more focused on the way things have always been around here than we are, is it helping people become more like Christ? Religious traditions can get in the way of real faith when they focus on traditions instead of on our heart. Verse 20 through 23 of Mark 7, Jesus says, What comes from your heart is what makes you unclean. Remember, they were all focused on, you didn't wash your hands, you didn't do ceremonially cleansing, you didn't, you didn't wash your pots and pans right, you know, you just went out there with who knows what, you know, you just passed a hat full of bread and people ate out of it, you, you just grabbed some basket willy-nilly and I don't know who Willie Ori's wife Nilly was, but you know, they, you just grabbed their basket and you started picking up the leftovers out of it. And they're all focused on that, that somehow that's going to make them unacceptable to God, ceremonially unclean. But he reminds them it's out of your heart that come your evil thoughts. Your vulgar deeds, your stealing, your murder, your unfaithfulness in marriage, the greed and meanness in life, the deceit and indecency, the envy. Boy, he's on a roll, isn't he? All those things that make it miserable to be around people, all those things that make us feel guilty when we treat people like this, he says all of that comes out of your own life. And he, sa he finally summarizes it just by calling it, it's just foolish. And it didn't come out of your hands, it came out of your heart. It didn't happen because your pot was dirty, it came because your heart was dirty. And if you're unacceptable to God, it's not because you broke tradition, it's because you broke God's heart. That's what made the difference. Uh, if you jump back over to Colossians 2 again briefly, I've got it on the screen, you don't have to. But in verse 8, he reminds them that when they focus on their tradition instead of on their heart, they've missed the point of it all. Be careful not to let anyone rob you of this faith through a shallow and misleading philosophy. That misleading philosophy that says, well, if you do this tradition, you're good with God. He says, no, it's, you're going down a blind path. A person that follows human traditions and the world's way of doing things, rather than following Christ, isn't going to get anywhere. You see, people need to see not just our traditions, they need to see authentic faith, genuine trust in God, real faith. In Philippians 4 verse 6, Paul says, don't worry about anything. It's hard not to when you've got people screaming at you all day long in emails and text and the TV, the newspaper, 
the neighbors. It's all anything anybody can talk about. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. When we aren't just focused on freaking out, but instead focus on faith because of what God has already done to prove Himself, He says in verse 7, the result of that is the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension or all understanding, that will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We'll have more peace from God because of prayer and faith than any amount of hand sanitizer could ever provide. We may not get sick. We may get sick. We may even have funerals. But people need to see that authentic faith is not just based in what appears to be the smart thing to do because somebody told us it was. But because we've used our trust in God to bring us peace. Now that doesn't mean if you're worried or nervous about it or exercise good judgment about staying away or washing your hands or anything like that. It's, it, it's a reflection of your poor faith. I'm not saying that at all. I'm telling you don't let it replace your faith. Don't let your practice be the source of your peace. Peace comes from God, not your best practices. That's why he reminds you, let the peace of Christ have power over your hearts. Love that phrase. The New International Version would phrase it this way, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Others would say, let the peace of Christ control your heart and your emotions. But here he simply reminds us in the New Living Version, there is power that you can have over the emotions of the moment. The emotional moment of the heart, the emotion that overrides any clear thinking, your emotions can be controlled by the peace that comes from Christ. And that is a choice we choose. Let the peace of Christ have that power over your heart. Let the peace of God Guard your heart and your mind in Christ. David, why don't you have the praise team join me back up here. I'm about to wrap up. People need to see an authentic faith today, now more than ever. They need to see not just our traditions. They need to see what faith looks like in practice. Now that doesn't mean you need to cough into your hand and shake somebody else's hand or insult them. But what that does mean is, why not let them see you pray for peace? Why not let them see you turn to God for a sense of well-being in the midst of a crisis? Why not ask others to join you 
in putting faith in God that he will see us through whatever the next three to six weeks or months bring us. Doesn't that honor God more than any regulation that could be handed down by a health department or government official? Our peace does not come from Trump, DeWine, or any WHO organization. As believers in Christ, our peace comes from God. Does that mean we get stupid about it? Absolutely not. God gives us the wisdom that we need to live intelligently, and He asks us to do so. But if we're to have that peace that can control our hearts, won't that come when we place an authentic faith in God and not temples? Won't that come as a result of an authentic faith that trusts in God's Word and not man's best guess? Won't that happen when an authentic faith is your own and not your family heritage or your tradition? Won't that happen when an authentic faith lives out of your heart and changes your life instead of just the ritual and the tradition because, well, it's time to do this? Won't that happen when out of an authentic faith we offer grace to each other instead of condemnation or condescending looks? An authentic faith will drive us to learn more about Jesus. Because when we learn more about Jesus, we find that we can put our faith in Him. And when we trust His way of living, we start to live like He lived and love like He loved. And people recognize that love of Christ as genuine and real and authentic. And that's when they start to believe that maybe Jesus can bring them peace as well. And when we look like Jesus, we will lead other people to Jesus as well. That is authentic faith. And that's what he calls you to. That's what he calls all of us to. On a Sunday, together, or on a Monday, on our own. Together, we live a real faith. Let's stand together and encourage each other in song this time. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to learn more about Marysville Christian Church and connect with us, be sure to go to our website, marysvillechristian.org. If you are near the Marysville area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday morning. We have our Bible study classes at 9 a.m. and our regular worship service is at 10 a.m. Our address is 17,000 Waldo Road, Marysville, Ohio, 43040. Our phone number is 937-642-9838. Email is office at barrysvillechristian.org.